Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 15, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, In the Doctor's Opinion, and we are at page Roman numeral XXVII, paragraph 5. Today's readers are Chelsea H., Michelle H., Penny C. The reference number for Tuesday, October 14th is 6954. That's 6954. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. No dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. Take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Melanie C. to read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie C. calling in from Texas this morning. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. I will now ask Alice M. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Alice, uh, compulsive overeater and bulimic from Florida. The 12 traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers, this month, there is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page Roman numeral 27, XXVII, paragraph 5. I will ask Chelsea H. to begin reading. Good morning. Thank you for your service, KDF. This is Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in the hospital, and while here, he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to the other patients. Here, and with some misgiving, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting, in fact. Many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive, and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. And I'm still Chelsea, still recovered for today. 
So this information here, um, of course, they're talking about Bill when he was back into the hospital again, and he actually talks about it in detail much more on page 14 in his story where he um, was in the hospital, lay in the hospital bed, and he called in Dr. Silkworth to ask if he were still sane, and the doctor um, said that he didn't know something has happened to you, and I don't understand, but you better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way you were. So he acquired certain ideas from Ebby, and also says in that same story about how he, um, his friend came to visit him there. So once he had these ideas, I guess the more important thing is, is that he implemented them at once. He put them into practical application at once. He didn't, have, you know, he didn't hang around holding on to the ideas, and those ideas were those tenets that uh, Ebby had brought to him from the Oxford group. So he got to work right away, and then he asked if he could come and tell his story. He came with the information about the experience he had had, what it was like for him, what happened, and why he can stand there now and tell his story to them. He told his story, his experience. He didn't get involved with trying to assess them or do any medical evaluations or anything. It was his story. And the doctor had misgivings because, again, when you're dealing with drunks, myself included, when you're dealing with people who are dishonest and who have a history of that, your reputation is on the line. But he let him do it. And he realized, as it says, the cases we have followed through, those are the ones that they kept track of, they were amazing, amazing. And he says that the unselfishness, the entire abstinence of profit motive, the community spirit, that fellowship, it was indeed inspiring. And he had labored long and wearily with a lot of alcoholics. People kept coming back, going, coming in, getting dried out, going back out, drinking again. Just like myself, I would come in, get abstinent for a little while, feel a little better, lose a little weight, and then dash back out the door again, only to be beaten back in again with, by the food. So this type of behavior the doctor had seen repeatedly and, you know, with much frustration and despair and the tragedy that's affiliated with it. So he says that they believed in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. So he believed, they believe in themselves, the fellowship and all, but still more we believe in our power. That's what we've come to rely on the source greater than ourselves, which has the power to pull us back from the gates of death. We're literally knocking at death's door, just waiting for somebody to open it, and we're able to be pulled back by source greater than ourselves. Once we walk through the process, which is what he did, and then he implemented it. He put it into practical action. He saw the results, and then he was able to carry the message, and that also speaks to the importance of that dynamic of carrying the message, the message, not your story, your experience, um, not your opinions. And the whole spiritual aspect at the bottom, at, the, at that last sentence of trust, of trust in the process, trust in the whole spiritual aspect of the program. And um, thank you so much for letting me give service, and I pass. Hi, my name is Charles. I eat too much, man. Share. Okay, Charles, just wait one second. So first we'll have Charles, and then who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Kim. Okay, Charles, and then Kim. Hi, good morning, visionaries. My name is Charles. I eat too much. I'm a, a blessed, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I did work 
this morning, right, and I asked my wife to get me up at, at, at 6.55 Eastern Standard Time because, um, wow, I just want to drill down. There's, there's a whole lot of good stuff in these paragraphs that um, Chelsea just read, but I want to drill down into this. This is love for me right here. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in the hospital, in this hospital, and while he acquired some ideas, which he put into practical application at once. And hold up, before the 12 steps and before before I was brainwashing, before in, in a positive way and before I felt the spiritual awakening, the, the, I, the, I felt the love to seek somebody else out like, like it told us previously before we even got to the doctor's opinion. Hold up, this right here got me pumped up, fired up, got me gassed up. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the here we go, here go the hit right here, kaboom! The entire abstinence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They didn't, they did this for me and you, right? Without worrying, without thinking of financial gain. That is ultimate love, right there. Ultimate love. So it is my job, it is my job, right, to do this happily, to carry this message to another. You know, and, and you know what, y'all? I'm going to keep it 100. This right here, this right here, this this power, this sentence convinces me now, right, that it's 10, 11, and 12. Even though I love living in one, all right, give me 10, 11, 12, and 1 then. I want to stay in the basics, but this right here, the absence of profit motive, the love, oh, my God, the love. This is inspiring me this morning to get up and be with these, with y'all visionaries and to help to dissect, to break down molecule by molecule in this doctor's opinion. It's here, y'all. It's here. Here go the hit. Like when I share my, my, my experience, strength, and hope, when I qualify, it's not for me. God is using me. My higher power is using me to carry this message. I'm a miracle. <laughs> you, oh, you don't know where God carried me from. That's why, you know what, I love you, visionaries. When y'all get pumped up and hyped, I feel it. I feel y'all. I feel why y'all get pumped up and hyped. God has delivered me. Oh, my God. Not just to get me over the hump. He's delivered me. So I could pump hope into somebody else. That's what this book is all about. Even before I get to Bill's story, oh my goodness, this is. You know what? Let me shut up. I, I, let me listen up. Thank you for allowing me to share. I pass. Thank you, Charles. Kim. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I'm going to um, pull on that last line we read. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. So I'm going to zone in on chronic alcoholic. You know, that, that's really important. That's what they're describing here. What about the chronic alcoholic? We're going to hear over and over again in the big book about alcoholics of our types, alcoholics as severe as we are. That's what the, this, this program is for. So I looked up what's the difference between acute and chronic. So acute means severe and brief. Chronic means constant, recurring frequently, having a long duration as opposed to acute. 
So I have to ask myself, when I'm reading this chapter, and as I continue to read all the chapters that describe step one, is do, am I a chronic compulsive overeater? Do I believe that I have both folds of the syllabus? Do I believe I have the allergy of the body? And do I believe I have the obsession of the mind? Because I believed for many years before OA and in OA that food and weight was my problem. And if food was really my problem, then the dozens and dozens and dozens of times that I got abstinent, maybe hundreds of times I got abstinent, I would have been okay. And if weight was really my problem, then dozens of times I got to goal weight, I would have been okay. I've heard at AA meetings, you know, if, if your only problem is drinking, punch a cop, you'll stop drinking because you will be separated from your alcohol in jail. And if that's your problem, you will be okay after that. So an acute, an acute compulsive overeater is someone who, when the food is down, they'll get better. Because if food's your problem, when the food goes down, you should get better, correct? But for the chronic alcoholic, the chronic compulsive overeater, for someone like me, someone of the alcoholic of my type, when the food goes down, I get worse. I am exposed to my true disease when I put the food down, which is why I am chronic. I need a solution to help me get comfortable abstinent because food and weight was never my problem. What my problem is, is abstinence. When I am abstinent, I am restless, I am irritable, and I am discontent. You mean I have to be abstinent in the morning, abstinent in the evening, abstinent at night? I mean, that's a common question that we hear on the after meeting is, when you say back-to-back abstinence, do you mean it? Do you honestly mean that you are abstinent back-to-back for days after day, month after month, year after year? Because that seems impossible for someone like me who abstinence is so uncomfortable. I need the relief. I need the ease and comfort. And that's why I'm at the gates of death, not because of the allergy. The allergy is a bad problem. I'm at the case of death because when I'm abstinent, I'm so uncomfortable, and the only way I can get release, release from that is to pick up the food again. So we need to ask ourselves, are you a chronic compulsive overeater? Then you'll need the 12 steps. If you are an acute compulsive overeater, maybe all you need is a better food plan. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Sally. Sally, Sue G, and I Rabia. Rabia. Paula. Anybody? Okay. Then let's go with Sally, Sue G, Rabia, and Paula. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. I would like to speak to the ending of this paragraph, starting with the unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit. I'm I'm going to stop for a moment there and just say, that Bill was very clear about his motives when he started in his chapter talking about um, his, his search for money. He was all about making money. This is a guy who was um, really, I believe, a brilliant man. And um, as he talks about his, uh, his risk-taking behaviors in the stock market and uh, his, 
his educational, his just his his drive for education and his drive in the stock market um, really just is very clear that this is a man who initially, when he first began his career days, was all about making a lot of money. He was very excited about his future and what he expected to gain from his life. And when you see what he did, um, what he did with this book and the way he gave away his life and he gave away this book, truly he's the epitome of freely we receive, freely we give, freely we receive. He really taught, taught us, he teaches us all the time what it means to pay it forward. We, we got something that was just absolutely free. We were given a gift of other people's time, other people's energy, um, and the gift, of course, of recovery from God. And we then take this gift, and with our open hands holding on to a precious gift, we carry it and we pay it forward. And so it speaks volumes to me, this very beginning of the sentence. But then moving into this, this doctor's perspective, here he says, the unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily. You know, I can hear this man's long and weary work with alcoholics. You can hear that in just the words that he's chosen with one to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. He's tired, this guy, and he is finally able to rest that there is a solution. And it's very precious because this is a guy who gave us the problem, the very clear problem, but he himself didn't have the solution. And here comes Bill carrying the solution, and he's all excited. And he goes on to say they believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholic back from the gates of death. And I'd like to weigh in on that word chronic. Chronicity is really is a, a powerful thing. I, I deal with a lot of patients who have pain issues. And the key thing about the word acute versus chronic, not to say that what Kim has said, anything that Kim has said is wrong, not, not, not wrong, but just to add to it, when a patient has an acute condition, the minute we see the word acute, we know that it came on suddenly and it's probably going to go away. But when a patient has a chronic pain, a chronic condition, we know that it's not going anywhere. They've been living with it for a long time, and it's not going anywhere. That's what it says to me when I walk into a patient's room and I know that they have a chronic condition. And so I, I think I've said enough. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Um, next is Suji. Hi, it's Suji, recovered in southeastern Pennsylvania, another denizen of hospitals and treatment. Um, so I'm going to share my experience, strength, and hope from Monday morning's experience, the biopsy. So my loved one, as I've shared here, um, has this very probable diagnosis of lymphoma, and he had his biopsy on Monday. And we worked out how we're going to do this together. Okay, so so lymphoma, understand that as acute condition and that that recent diagnosis acute and i'm going to add something that's to what's been said also that another piece of acute is it's very traumatic to have an acute illness 
and you really experience like I eek, I don't like it. Help, get me out of here. So so in between my screaming and my in my uh God minus state and the discussion in the God plus state, uh we worked something out, my hubby and I, that he would like to go himself, not with me there, and then I could come and pick him up. And so that was fine. I I worked through my garbage and let go of it and said, fine, you know, I'll respect him. I love him. I'll do what he wants. So I'm doing my thing, and it's about 11.30, and I'm supposed to be there by 12. So I turn on my phone. I was busy. I turned on the phone, and he's left me a message um, that he's still in the waiting room. So, uh-oh, this puts a little crimp in the style here. Now, now we can't quite do it the way that that we were on schedule because I was supposed to pick him up. He would be at the door. This was my fantasy. He'd be at the door waiting to go, all done, and we would go and have lunch, and we even picked out a restaurant. But no, it didn't work that way. So I came to the hospital. Now, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals, and I'll tell you the truth. Hospitals help people a lot, but I truly don't like them. And, And I experienced a conversion in my notion about this hospital that, and it's the hospital where he works and where he trusts people and they're going to take care of him and me too as the wife. And I experienced this hospital was really the house of God. I went there. People helped me. They showed me where to go. They were kind to me when I got lost in the hallway. Somebody with a, a hospital label said, uh, is there something wrong or what are you looking for or whatever. I, I loitered outside the radiology diagnostic place where he was in recovery and I was going to go and, and sit with him. And, the, and this guy walks by, can I help you? Are you confused? I said, the signs on that door scare me. It says, you know, radiation, blah, blah. Can I really go in there? And he says, well, he says, I happen to be in charge of radiation control in this hospital. Yes, it's perfectly safe for you to go in there. It's all fine. That was my experience. But then the mind-blowing part of it is I'm with my husband, and he wants to get up, and he's a little groggy because he's had some local anesthesia and some sedation, and and I'm afraid he's going to fall off the chair, and I just stand there and, and it's stretcher, not chair, and, and support him. Then the radiologist comes, and it's about an hour into the recovery period. The radiologist says, hi, how are you? Shakes my hand, friendly. Now, I had the view in my, in my sickness, I had the view that the radiologist was doing this procedure with a surgeon who was going to come in there with a shiv and do the biopsy. That was my fantasy. The radiologist says, hi, how are you? Glad to meet you. He's handsome, appealing, and personable. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's been over three minutes. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll wrap it up. Let, Let me just wrap it by saying that there, this was the source of help, and, and this is what we need in our addiction also. Whatever source of help we need, be it hospital or be it that we do it with a sponsor at first. Thank you for letting me share. Sorry to have overdone, and I pass. Thank you, Sue. Robbie, your turn. Good morning, everybody. My name is Rabia. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And thank you, everyone, every single one of you, for being on the line this morning. Um, I am a chronic, absolutely real compulsive overeater. 
And I have labored long and wearily in the rooms of OA for decades. And, um, and today, I cannot believe who I am. I am unselfish. The unselfishness of these, I am unselfish. This selfish, self-centered woman is today unselfish, and I am entirely absent of a motive, profit motive, in doing this 12-step work and building my community around me. I am so inspired. I am on fire um, with the power of God in me and my recovery and the lightness of being in my life and the joy and the power and love and strength I get every morning on this meeting. And I ask God every morning, how may I serve you? Um, And God puts so many experiences before me every day. I live in a state of blessed awe. That is my state, blessed awe, because I am amazed at this person that is living my life today. And I have to be careful because here's what's happening for me. I I am exhausted. (laughs) I get up every morning for this meeting. I want to take a nap during the day. I don't ever take a nap. God has me busy all day, every day. And, um, And so I've been drinking more coffee you know, to stay awake, and and the coffee charges me, as we know, in a very caffeine way, and then my passion gets is over the top. I get overexcited. Now I'm praying in my seventh step, you know, God, here's my good and my bad. Well, my good is my excitement. However, when I'm overexcited, I step on the toes of others. You know, I heard my dearest friend in recovery two days ago because I just lashed out at her about something, you know, and I was overexcited. I was describing something in recovery, you know, but I wanted her to listen, and I said something hurtful. And so, um, so I, you know, it's always about bringing it back in. It's always about God. It's always about moderation. It's... Um, uh, it, 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 you know, this is a lifetime process. It's not an overnight affair, and 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 we love each other through it, and we're here for each other through it. And um, and I and I, I, I mean, I, I do. I am flabbergasted um, by by the woman I have become. I I I am so grateful I didn't leave before the miracle happened. I did not know this was the miracle. I did not know living in 10, 11, and 12 was going to give me this life. I could have never imagined it. Of course I could have never imagined it. And and, and it's here for all of us. And I'll say it again. A few short months ago, it was April 5th that I first started being guided through this big book with my loving guide and here I am today, and, and for all of you, seven weeks from now, you can be recovered. And having this life I'm living, God bless us all. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Rabia. And Paula, your turn. And thank you. Thank you for your service. I think we should always start with gratitude, and I am grateful for the meeting and this time and time giving me, and I will be respectful of it. Now, it starts with later he... And later, we're gonna. I'm gonna go crawl right into that sentence. He requested. He asked. He asked the privilege. Look at that word. 
not a job, not time wasted, time given. Time given, the privilege of being allowed. Allow me to tell my story, not run away into, oh, I am saved, I am fine, I am. I never want to go back to that, that, that hellhole that I was in. Who would want to go back? They did. They wanted and they asked. And they considered it a privilege. And with some misgivings, the doctors consented, well, yeah, we've seen a miracle. But can another miracle happen? Just the coming back, they already considered a miracle. I mean, they were recovered. They came to that place. But may I continue to follow it down here? The unselfishness of these men, they worked with alcoholics. They say we stood on the line, the firing line. That's not words put, put carelessly put. They're true. And then it comes to here. And I, and I just have to stop for a moment. They believe in themselves. That's huge. But wait, huge is still. And still more. More in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. From the gates of death to what? To life. To life. To live. To give. To be. To be for others. But mostly to be for God himself. There's the transformation. It wasn't about them anymore. It wasn't about them. And that's what we read in this beautiful paragraph that had been so beautifully shared and read on. And it's amazing how we come close to and we can see it in our lives today. Yeah, I believe in myself. And can I say, and still more, the power which pulled me back into life. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Okay, I will now ask Michelle H. to read the next paragraph. Good morning. Thank you, Katie, for your service, Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. And so, you know, we're reading the letter from the, from Dr. Silkworth, and he's already told us in the previous paragraph that it takes a power, um, a higher power, um, to pull us back. And then he starts into telling us, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving. And, um, you know, in, in opening this big book and studying it as a text, you know, I've learned and I've been taught that, that this is, that I have a twofold disease, disease of my body and a disease of my mind and I've learned that the big book speaks about craving um, they're speaking about that physical allergy the disease part of my body that this is what they're referring to and that this is what makes me different from a quote-unquote normal eater someone who doesn't who is not a compulsive overeater a real compulsive overeater like me and this has to take place this um I have to be separated from whatever the substance is that's setting up this physical allergy before these psychological measures. 
um, before the steps can be taken. I must be separated from these foods that are these substances and these foods that, that trigger this physical allergy that sets me up to where when I want to have an intended amount of food, that doesn't happen for me. And the best way I've heard this described, this physical allergy, is that it is a biological mandate, that my body mandates that there is a need for more that I can't stop, that the amount that I intended to eat, this small amount, is not going to happen for me because this allergy is set up in me to where I want more and more and more, and I have no control over it. I have no control over my body's chemistry that reacts this way. It's an abnormal reaction, I've been taught, and I have to be separated from it uh, because, as, as I've been taught, it's as much of an anesthesia for me as the liquor was for the alcoholic. And, and so I have to, to know this um, in order to um, embrace the program, and it was really a, a relief for me to find out that it wasn't that I didn't have control over it, that it wasn't me, that it wasn't a weakness, that there, there was no way my willpower was ever going to be able to control this because my body was taking over, that whenever I put any amount, no matter how small, no matter how much I tried to limit it, um, whenever that substance was in my body, I was always going to have this reaction. My body was dictating. My body was in charge of this biology of mine that I didn't create, um, and I had no power, I had no choice. But just the knowledge that I had this bodily defect was not enough, as I've learned as, and studied this text. But certainly abstinence had to come first. Abstinence from the substance is not the complete picture because my mind is, is quite defective as well as my body. But first I must be separated from these substances. And that's what Dr. Silkworth is, you know, is credited for carrying this piece of the, the puzzle to Bill to let him know that, that there is this physical allergy. I need a spiritual solution, but the, the food kept me under anesthesia. The food kept me, um, I was a slave to, to the food. It, it was my master. And, and, you know, in the beginning, I didn't want to believe that. Um, I didn't want to believe that my body was defective. Um, or that my mind was defective. I didn't want to believe that I was different um, from from other people. But it was that that was what was going to block me if I didn't come to believe, if I didn't come to understand that this was a part of the disease that that I had, and um, and that other that other people had it too. And it helped me to identify in by hearing other people's story. But the physical allergy. It is a part of this disease and my body is defective and the food ha I had to be separated from it and with that I'll pass okay thank you this is Katie and I'd like to share on this paragraph before we um, take others um, of course Karen, alcoholic. okay no. Karen you can after me sorry okay of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure. Um, I tried in a way to, you know, I had lots of meetings, and I thought, you know, they read the tools, and, and I had this idea, well, abstinence is just one of the tools. 
So it didn't matter if I didn't um, practice abstinence on a daily basis. I'll just try to work the steps. And, you know, of course, that never worked. Um, It never worked to try to implement anything in this um, program of action when I was still ingesting my binge foods. Until I could find a way to eat that did not trigger um, the allergy for me, which meant rigorous honesty. I had to be honest about, you know, what I did with food and what um, my behaviors that had to change and the foods that I could not eat. There are foods that I don't eat that other people eat other people who are abstinent for decades and, um, you know, just a long time, they're able to eat certain foods that I can't eat. And I couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't stay abstinent when I was trying to um, continue to allow foods into my body that set up the craving. And with that, I'll pass. And then Sharon H., I do. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. Arrow. And then Vasa. And H, Larry, Vasa. Oh, this is Nicole. Could I share? Uh, Deanna. Hello. Nicole, Hello. Deanna. Okay, we'll go with those five. Um, Sharon, it's your first. Thank you, Katie, and good morning to everyone on the line, and thank you for your service. Katie, I apologize for (laughs) overstepping there. Um, um, You know, this whole letter just means so much to me. The doctor writes, uh, because this had such an impact on me two years ago uh, when I began listening to the OA Vision for You meeting, uh, because I was one of those who did not get that uh, belief to the core of my being that I did have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body when it came to the food. Um, And so as a result of that, I kept trying to work this program and I was building, trying to build a foundation on a lie because the first thing I must accept is that and that then that requires that these foods that go into my body that have this uh, allergic reaction within my body, I must put them down first. And then I will be given the strength and the courage to work these steps one day at a time so that I may be uh, living recovered rather than constantly in relapse like I was before. And I just loved how uh, Dr. Silkworth uh, is so honest in this letter, you know, famous hospital, um, been there many years, uh, dealing with alcoholic and drug addiction. So he saw the tragedies that happened with these with these people that were the alcoholics and then with their families and loved ones as a result of that. And and then he, as a result of uh, this situation that happened with uh, Bill, he began to see beyond, even though he was very skilled and very scientific and all of that, he he realized that something beyond what they could offer was going to be what was needed for these alcoholics. And and then to see this change in Bill, uh, you know, time given with gratitude to uh, share this with other people so that they too, by God's grace, could be recovered and and pull them back from the gates of hell and death. And, and I can really relate to that. So... Um, 
and and a whole different mindset. Uh, you know, in the big book it says we we begin to see things through a different angle, and that's through the uh, eyes of our God, our higher power, showing us the difference between selfless and selfish. And, and then, you know, the amazing, amazing privilege we're given to um, guide someone else through this process of this book, following the directions exactly like they're laid out. And I'm so just so grateful to be a part of that today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much, Sharon. And next is Larry. Katie, thanks for your service. Larry, recovered uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. Um, okay, so the, the food must be down. And um, I can tell you for the first uh, five years uh, of my existence in this program, um, I was unwilling to put the food down. And with that came shame and then lying to sponsors, lying directly or lying through omission because I made my sponsor um, into the, my higher power. See, what I did was is that I was unwilling, and I, I read the first step coming into this program. Wait a minute. If I'm powerless, if we admit that, that I'm powerless, that means I have no choice. But see, I mis, misinterpreted that. I could put the food down. I've done it. After all, I've done it hundreds and thousands of times, right? I just couldn't stay stuck. We can put the food down. And then I read the second step, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, I thought, okay, wait around, continue to sort of dabble in the food. I'll be mostly abstinent. But then this, this higher power of my own understanding, my insane understanding at that time, will come to my rescue. You know, like sprinkle me with pixie dust. It never happened. I had to race through these steps. Thoroughly and courageously, but I had to race through the steps, this practical program of action. It was not dependent on another human being. No human being could have relieved me of my alcoholism. Not myself, not a sponsor, not you, not Bill Wilson himself could not relieve me of my alcoholism. God could and would if he were sought. And how I was able to find God, I can't explain it with science. I'm a man of science, but I can't explain it by science. I worked through these steps and somehow I had a complete psychic change that drove that obsession of the mind out. It, it drove it right out. That's the only way I could stay stopped for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days. I couldn't do it myself. But you know what? My heroin had to be down. I couldn't have a little bit of heroin. And it was going to feel, I had to go through a, a process of uncomfortability for that time. Yes, you're going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to feel very good. But that's where the courage comes in. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Okay, next is Vasa. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everybody. And thank you for your service, Katie. And I am Vasa and Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Foxborough, Massachusetts. I am so grateful that God led me to the big book, uh, the big book and the 12 steps. And I was saved from the deadly disease to life, to give to others what was so given freely to me. I'm so, so grateful. I always, when I say my prayers, I always say the third prayer every morning. God, I offer myself to you to build with me. And uh, I, 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 you know, again, I started with the big book, and I just listened very carefully to the story of Bill. 
and the doctor's opinion. And I could relate to Bill. You know, he went through hell with his disease. Well, I did the same thing. I was miserable, you know. I had the chronic condition. I could not stop eating, you know, especially the sugar things. And that was my focus. My sponsor said, God will do for you that you cannot do for yourself, but you need to surrender. I know we're not on step three, but I that's I did the first three steps. I can't, he can, I will let him. And believe me, when I put the sugars down, you know, the next day I wanted to eat so bad, but I kept on going to God and I kept on praying, please, God, remove this obsession, remove this compulsion of this food. I mean, I remember I just wanted to throw myself on the floor and just cry like a little baby. I want this. I don't want I don't want to deal with this pain that served me for so long, so many years. It you know, it numbed me. It was escape from my pain. It to the point it did not work anymore. So uh I was very successful in my life in many, many areas, you know. But when I when it came to the food, I could not put it down. And I was so desperate, and I was willing to do whatever it took. And I, and I, and I also heard here, it says, though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plan, we favor hospitalization for alcoholic who is very jittery or be fogged. More often than not, it is imperative the man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has been better chance to understand and accepting what we have to offer. And that's what I needed to do, you know, and God gave me to, you know, give, gave me the strength, the willingness, the courage just to take a one day at a time, one meal at a time, and it's amazing where I am in my life today from where I started with um, with the big book. But it takes a courage, it takes a willingness, and God is involved with everything I do in my life. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Nicole, you're next. Hi, this is Nicole. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Colorado. Um, thank you so much for giving service this morning. And um, what strikes me on here is um, just that, you know, it, it says, of, of course, you know, as a matter of fact, it, it's, um, you know, the alcoholic should be freed from their physical craving before the, you know, psychological measures can be a maximum benefit. And um, for my uh, first um, years and years in program, just um, there was such a debate amongst people in OA um, of, you know, just work the steps. If you can't get abstinent, that's okay. Just work the steps, and you know, and and uh, you know, it's better than it was before. And um, I, I was not willing to put the the food down um, for you know probably um, close to eight years in, in program, and just thought, well, it's so much better than what it was before. I'm still eating my binge foods, and I realized it takes a lot of honesty of really, really getting honest with what are my binge foods and not trying to follow someone else's um, binge foods or food plan, but what what is it for me? And um, this, you know, psychological measures being of maximum benefit um, 
really um, is so true. When when I'm abstinent, I'm just amazed at the clarity of mind that I have. And um, just yesterday, I had a um, an issue with my son, and I was just able to, um, you know, even though I was frustrated and not knowing what to do, I was just able to pause and pray and ask for guidance and direction. And um, how it was before is, you know, I would just reach for the food, and then the food would numb me, and then I would never be able to get to the problem um, that, at hand and the solution. And um, so that full psychological measures, um, you know, it's just really come true for me, and it's all from putting the food down. And I like how they just focus on how absolutely vital it is um, to to work the steps, to be um, clear-headed, to have the food down um, in order to, to get the full measure of um, what this, the steps and what this book has to offer. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Nicole. Dina. Thank you. My name is Deanna, and I am a recovering compulsive reader and thank you for your service. You know, since I've been listening to A Vision for You since July, I haven't missed a day except one, and it has just changed my life. I am the compulsive reader of the, t- the type we talk about, the chronic, and it also states here that he was back in the hospital again, Bill was, and I was in treatment two times for my eating disorder, and the last one was in 1991, and I continued to live the lie that I could be, I don't even know if I want to call it abstinence, you know, I had a food plan. I could give it up, but I didn't trust my higher power that he was there for me, that I had to do it myself. So treatment was an escape for me, and that's where I went. And, uh, but the lie that I've been living most of my life, even in recovery or in the program, is that sugar was never my go-to, which it wasn't, but it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter that, that, if, uh, that God will protect me. No, I have to protect myself. But today I believe God is there and you are all there, and and you've just changed my life, and I'm just completing step four, so soon to be recovered. Uh, And I believe that my growth will come when my spiritual, my, excuse me, my physical growth or whatever I'm supposed to be physically will come when my spiritual growth is in order. And uh, with that, I will pass, and thank you all for sharing in your service. Thank you, Deanna. Sorry, I said it wrong. Um, Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. Yes, this is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. 
The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.